Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. We forget that what we have in common is far more important and far more powerful than any differences that you and I might have. We have Christ. We have Christ. When it comes to success in your relationships, what is one of the most important ingredients? Well, the answer may seem obvious, but it's one of the most difficult to come by. I'm talking about unity. Whether you're talking about a a political team, whether you're talking about a corporation, whether you're talking about a church, or whether you're talking about a marriage or a family, unity matters. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. As we continue our Heartbeat series through the book of Philippians, we come to a part of the book where the Apostle Paul, the writer of the book Philippians, stresses the importance of having unity in the community, the body of Christ. Most of us have heard about or experienced church disunity, and the results usually aren't good. Worst of all, God is not glorified when His followers are not unified. As you'll hear Pastor Clay say in today's message, having unity is important for all of our relationships. So what are we to do? Paul says we have to follow the model of Christ, which is this, humble mind and helping hands. Fortunately for us, the Apostle Paul gives us a model to look at to show us what is necessary to have unity. Now here's Pastor Clay with today's message. most of us have. If you, if you have some, any kind of like church background, you, you, you probably almost certainly know this is true, but even many people that, that don't have much of a church background probably have heard of, uh, of church, church fighting going on. You ever heard churches fighting within that, that kind of stuff goes on, right? Y'all have, heard, y'all have heard of some of that stuff? You know where I am talking about? Sure. Uh, that kind of stuff uh, goes on, uh, I, uh, I went to seminary with a guy who was telling me one day in class about a business meeting that uh, had just occurred uh, recently at the church where he pastored. And in the business meeting, he brought up uh, the question of whether he could purchase a trash can with locking handles on it uh, for the church because the uh, dogs kept getting into the church trash can and dragging trash all over the churchyard and all over the parsonage which was next door parsonage the house where the pastor lived next door and uh, so he uh, he made a motion to or asked somebody to make a motion to buy a trash can with locking lids what ensued he said was three and a half hours of discussion debate and disagreement over what was the best course of action in regards to the dogs getting into the trash can. After three and a half hours, the meeting finally ended with the motion to purchase the trash can tabled until such time as they could come back and discuss it further. Now, folks, I'm not making this up, okay? This is true. (laughs) The pastor, the guy that was in class with me, told me, said he went out the next morning and bought a trash can out of his own pocket (laughs) and ended, ended the... The arguing. Disunity. Some of you heard me uh, tell a story of the two churches that sit at either end of the road where my wife's dad lives. It was where Cindy's dad lives. At the either end of, this, of uh, the road he lives on, 
are two churches. Uh, Dewberry Baptist Church number one and Dewberry Baptist Church number two. That is, yes, I swear, that's honestly the names. That's honestly the name. And I had heard this before, but I Googled it yesterday. I was doing some research and I found stuff on, on uh, the ancestry of, of Dewberry Church and the split that took place back in the 1800s. The, the split took place because uh, the two, like the heads of the two biggest families in the church had a disagreement over who should get the last piece of chicken in a, they were going to have a cooking out, cookout or what they were having. But they got in an argument about who should get the last piece of chicken, and the church split. Now, <laughs> listen to this. It can't, it can't be confirmed because it's been so long ago, but I read that, that they said that, that, it was, that it was claimed that neither one of them ended up with the piece of chicken because while they were arguing, a dog got in and got the piece of chicken. Now, that is both funny and tragic. Disunity. We'll look at it in in just a few minutes, but uh, chapter 2 of the book of Philippians opens with the phrase, if therefore, connecting Paul's discussion right at the very end of chapter 1, we looked at last week, right at the very end of chapter 1, Paul begins to bring up this idea of unity. If, therefore, connects what he's about to go into in chapter 2. And I believe that I said last week that Paul was going to continue this discussion that he just kind of raises at the very end of chapter 1. And, of course, there, originally in the letters there weren't chapter and verse divisions. But uh, th- th- this idea that he, he, that he raises just a little bit at the end of chapter 1 that he was going to continue that on in chapter 2. And so that's exactly what we're going to find. I think that I also said last week that unity, the idea of unity, is a big deal to God. This idea of unity is a, is a big deal to God. In fact, unity uh, is at the very core of, of the existence of God. That's part of the reason why it's such a big deal to God. What we refer to as the doctrine of the Trinity... God exists as three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But they operate in complete, total, and absolute unity. And have done so from all of eternity. That is the doctrine of the Trinity. God exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They are co-equal in every respect... And they operate in absolute unity and have done so from, from all of eternity. Now, that's a concept in some respects that you and I can never fully get our minds around. I don't, or I can't. How God is three, and he is three, but yet he is the one Godhead and has eternally existed. And getting our minds around all of that is something that, that we may never fully do. But that, that bedrock theological principle is what at least one of the litmus tests that has been used for centuries to distinguish orthodox or accepted Christianity from from cults or from false teachings. Unity is a big deal to God. Practically speaking, 
unity is a big deal. Think about it. Think about um, an athletic team on a, on a field or on a court. They need unity. A race car team on a track, they, they need to operate in unity. Whether you're talking about a, a political team, whether you're talking about a corporation, whether you're talking about a church, or whether you're talking about a marriage or a family, unity matters. Unity is a big deal. Unity must exist. For that team, that marriage, that church to be all that God intends it to be. I'm going to read this morning from Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 through 11. Where Paul gets into this idea of the importance of unity specifically within the body. Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 through 11. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ... If there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, again, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that is in it and the application that we can make for our lives. Unity is a big deal, and sadly, it is a scarce deal, it seems like, in our world today, not just in the church. Very few places seem to have true unity, or if they do, it it doesn't seem to last, or something comes up, or problems arise, or, or whatever. But certainly within the fellowship of believers, uh, there should be unity. So help us to understand what you are saying through the Apostle Paul, and help us then to apply what you are saying through the Apostle Paul to our lives, to our fellowship here at Cross Culture Church, to our marriages if we're if we're married to our families, Lord God, that you would be honored and glorified and that your kingdom would advance. Thank you again so much for every person who's here. In Christ's strong name, amen. Thank you. Thank you. You may be seated. Unless you want to stand up the whole time, and I'm okay with that too. I want to start this morning, Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 11. I'm going to start, as I many times do, by giving you what I refer to as the BP squared, the big picture biblical principle. Y'all love that anyway, right? Yeah, that's good. Thank you. 
The BP squared, the big picture biblical principle. Philippians chapter, one, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, BP squared looks like this. Christ is the key to unity in the community. Would you say that out loud with me? Christ is the key to unity in the community. That's right. Christ is the key to unity in the community. Paul begins, well, let me, let me just read it first. Let's, let's, uh, let me just give you why he is. Christ, the key to unity in the community. I'm going to give you a few reasons why he is this morning. Because he is the cause for unity in the community. He's the reason. He's the, he's the cause for unity in the community. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. It says this, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Paul's if there, he begins with if there is, therefore, he's not calling into question whether these things exist. Uh, It's really, um, it really has the idea of sense. Or as a, as a result of, or because of. In other words, Paul's saying, because there is encouragement in Christ, because there is consolation or, or comfort of love in Christ, because there is fellowship of the, of the Spirit in Christ, because there is affection and compassion, because there are, are those things, not, not if there are those things, no, because there are those things, there should be unity. As Paul says, that latter part of verse 2, there should be unity because we are being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. It wouldn't be an abuse of the text to say same mind, same love, same spirit, same purpose. In other words, unity. He's the cause. Paul says you've already got it. You've got everything that you need to be unified, to have unity in your lives, in your home, and in your church. There ought to be unity in this relationship because you have this this spirit of Christ that connects you, because you have this comfort and this love and this, you have all this stuff in Christ. One of my great privileges in in serving in, in ministry is to have had the opportunity to travel to a lot of different places in the world to to help advance the work of the kingdom. I've gotten to go a lot of different places, and, and Lord willing, uh, I'm not through yet. We'll get to go a lot more places. But, but one of the great things about traveling, going different places, when you go different places in the world and you go to work with believers in other, other countries or other parts of the world, uh, one of the interesting things, and by the way, our, our team that leaves for Peru in a couple of weeks, they will experience this uh, when, when they get down to Peru. But, but one of the things that you experience is that that whenever you go someplace where there's, an, where there's a body of believers, a group of believers, or, or even a single believer, there is instantly a connection between you and those people. There, there's just, I, it's, it's hard to explain, but our, our language is, is, is different. Our, what we eat may be different. Our standard of living is almost certainly uh, different. Our skin color may be different. There's all kinds of differences, but, but there's this instant connection between us. And the connection is Christ. It's, it's what makes the difference for us. I, I was in Kenya several years ago, and, um, and I, was, I was working uh, in what's called the Western Kenya Crusade, and we were out near the Ugandan border, and we were planting some churches out there. And I was working with a team planting a, a church out in uh, Western Kenya. And um, when, the first day that I was there, I was assigned an interpreter, young man, and we were 
just assigned to go down the, the different trails through the, the brush or the whatever, the jungle, whatever. We were called to just go down the trails and, and we just stop at you know, huts, different huts and, and share the message of Jesus and tell them about this church we were starting. And when we would come back, they'd come back every day and we could meet and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, here we go. We head out to meet this young man and we head out down the trail uh, to begin to uh, share the message of Jesus with these people. And as we're walking along, um, my interpreter uh, suddenly uh, reaches down and just and takes me by the hand. And here we go, just walking, walking down. I wish I had somebody up here with me, right? Walking down the, the, the trail hand in hand, you know? I'll confess, it kind of freaked me out a little bit at first. I don't, I don't mind saying it. It kind of freaked me out a little bit. But I had already been told that, that in, in Kenya, or at least in that part of the world, it, it's, it, it wasn't unusual for uh, men to hold hands with men and women to hold hands with women that, uh, that when they did, it was a sign that there was, that, that there was genuine affection, genuine uh, kindness and, and love and, and friendship uh, toward that person that they were doing. Now, we were, totally, we were all virtually total strangers. But this young man understood there was instantly this connection when you, come in, when, when, when you have this relationship with Jesus Christ and someone else has a relationship with Jesus Christ, there's a connection. That he understood that we truly were blood brothers, bought by the same blood that Christ shed on the cross for us, and that made us related in Christ. He is the cause. Now, uh, even if you live in the same country, speak the same language, we can still have differences, right? We, we, can, have, we can have different likes or dislikes. We have different preferences or uh, non-preferences, we, we have different uh, approaches to certain things, we have different stages of life, we, we have different interests or hobbies. So, so there, there can still be differences between us. Tragically, sadly, within the body of Christ, the local body of Christ, tragically, those differences often do lead to disagreement, arguing, and disunity within the body of Christ itself. Because we forget. We forget that what we have in common is far more important and far more powerful than any differences that you and I might have. We have Christ. We have Christ. And he should be the cause for unity in the community. And when I say community, I mean the local body of believers, the church. He is the cause of unity. Let me give you another uh, idea here this morning. He is the model for unity in the community. And I'll tell you right now, this is where we're going to spend most of our time is on the second idea. He is the cause for unity in the community, and he is the model for unity in the community. Okay, so uh, if we have all this stuff together in Christ, if we have, as Paul says here, if we have this, uh, this encouragement in Christ, if we have this consolation or, or comfort of love in Christ, if we have this, this fellowship of the Spirit in Christ, if we have affection and compassion Christ, if we have all these things in Christ, if He is the cause, then why is there so much disunity within the body? If, if, we've, if we've got this, why is there so much disunity? Well, it's because of a little thing called my flesh. It's really not such a little thing. Let me explain. Before you or I came into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and 
All of you here may not be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You may still be thinking about this or pondering this, whatever. But for those of us here who have entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, before we entered into that relationship with Jesus Christ, you and I made decisions based on who? Me. Right? What I thought, what I wanted, what I thought was best, what I thought might make me look best, what felt best. Right? Don't look at me like, oh, you're terrible. No, you did the same thing. Right? Before I entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, I wasn't interested in what he had for my life. I, I, didn't, I didn't think about what decisions he might want, might want me to make that would be him. I didn't think about that. My vote was the only vote that mattered in Clay World. But when I entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, God's word tells me that the Spirit of God... God the Holy Spirit came to dwell within me. And part of the purpose of the Holy Spirit dwelling within me is to bring godly conviction into my life and to bring godly wisdom into my life so that I can make godly decisions in my life based not on my flesh, but based instead on the Spirit of God. Are you with me so far? Let's look at some verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. 1 Corinthians 3, 16. Do you not know that you're a temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? Don't you know that, he says? 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and that you're not your own? Galatians 4, 6, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Ephesians 4, 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We could go on, but I think you get the point. If you have entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, the spirit of God has come to dwell within you. And he wants to equip you and encourage you and guide you and fill you with wisdom to make decisions that are godly and not decisions that are based on the flesh. But they still have to be your decisions, as I understand it. In other words, God is not, God is not glorified by making you some kind of spiritual puppet on a string where he controls every decision that you make. And, and every, uh, everything, just controlling all of it. No, as I understand it, God is glorified when we are sensitive to the Spirit of God, when we are open to the wisdom of God and seeking the wisdom of God, and then under the power of God, we're making decisions that honor and glorify God instead of decisions that honor or glorify or please me in my flesh. Does that make sense? But... We still have the flesh. We still have this this desire to please me. By the way, that's why why you struggle with with setting time aside to read God's word. Just to pick on one. It's not that you don't think you need to. You know you need to. It's not you don't think you're supposed to. You know you're supposed to. It's not that you don't think it won't help you. You know it will help you. But your flesh doesn't want you to. Your flesh wants to sleep in or get on to work or watch TV or, or whatever else. 
That's why you, that's why you struggle with, with responding correctly to your spouse if you're married. That's, that's why you struggle with anxiety. That's why you struggle with all of these things. Because my flesh wants what my flesh wants when my flesh wants it. Here's how Paul puts it in Romans chapter 7. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Can anybody relate to that? I mean, can anybody relate to that? And so, in the area of unity, if I'm operating in the flesh, there will be disunity. There will always be disunity, whether it's in my home, whether it's in my marriage, whether it's in the church, there will be disunity because I'll want what I want and you'll want what you want and she'll want what she wants and he'll want what he'll want. And the only person that matters won't get what he wants, God, which is unity in the body of believers. So what are we to do? Paul says we have to follow the model of Christ. The model of Christ, which is this, humble mind and helping hands. That's the way I put it. Let me read it to you in verses 3 through 8. Humble mind and helping hands. Picking it up in verse 3. Do nothing, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind... Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or to be held on to. Oh, I, I can't, I've got to be God. But emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. There's our model. Christ is our model. This this, uh, word here in verse 3, humility of mind, comes from the root word uh, tepe. It means carpet or rug. Hey. Can you understand now why your flesh fights so much against this? Nobody, nobody wants to be walked on by anybody. And Christ calls us to voluntarily lay down our lives for the good of others. To put them before ourselves in everything. You probably can recognize that root word uh, for tepe is the same word from which we get the word tapestry. And most of you probably know a, a tapestry is normally uh, hung on a wall, but, but it's, it's actually a carpet or, or a rug. And it was woven in such a way that it makes this beautiful picture. So many of us, most of us have probably seen tapestries before. It makes this beautiful picture. And when I thought about that and I was reading about that root word, I, I couldn't help but, but make this, this spiritual connection. That a life, a life that voluntarily lays down in service for others is a beautiful picture for everybody to appreciate and admire. That's our lives. That's what we're called to do. That's our model. He humbled himself. But it's not easy, is it? It's not easy. Have this 
attitude. Some translations say have this mind in yourself, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. What follows is one of the great Christological passages in all of the Bible, where it clearly declares Jesus Christ was God, was and is God in the flesh. And there's so much that I wish we had time to look at in that passage of Scripture. So many ideas to discuss. What does it mean that he emptied himself? What does it not mean when it says he emptied himself? What does it mean when it says he took on being in appearance as a man? What does it not mean in appearance of man? We don't have time to deal with it to the degree that I'd like to deal with it, so I'm just going to cut to the chase. Y'all are saying, good, I'm hoping you get to that a long time ago. I'm just going to cut to the chase. And that is this. Jesus Christ was God in the flesh, but he didn't live or react in the flesh. Jesus Christ was God from all of eternity. God the Son was God from all of eternity. But rather than than stay there in his deserved position, he willingly humbled himself so that we wouldn't have to stay in our position of sinner, bound for hell, deserving it. Instead, he humbled himself, laid down his life, served others through his death, even death on a cross. That's what we need. That's what we need. We, We need more carpet Christians. We need more people who would say, this is not about me, this is not about what I want or what I think or what I hope or what I wish, and I just need to, I mean, think about it, okay? Think about what causes most church fights. Have you ever been in a church fight? Think about what causes most church fights. Oh, I love this color carpet. I hate that color carpet. I think this, I think that. I want this, I want that. I think the money should be spent on this. I think the money should be saved. I think it's too hot. I think it's too cold. He preaches too long. He preaches too short. Listen, if you've got a couple hours, I've heard most of them. But me, I think, I want, I, I, I. And Paul says, humility, tepe, become a carpet. Think, okay, all right, let's just jump all in it. Think about your marriages. If you're married, if you and your spouse, spouse both profess to be followers of Jesus Christ, think about if, if, if you're only in 10 and you're working at you know, laying down your life and putting them first and, and thinking of them first and, and always work on them first, unity will exist in that home that for people to appreciate and admire and want in their lives. Now, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. Oh, 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 but what happens? What happens when they're not doing that? What happens when I'm doing it? You know, me, I'm doing it. I'm laying down my life. I'm being a, a, a I'm doing this. I, you know, I'm, I'm giving. I'm thinking of them first. I'm putting them first. I'm doing all this stuff. I'm serving them. I'm doing all this stuff. But they're not, they're, they're not doing it. They're ju- they're just, they just keep walking right over me. Just treat me like I'm a, 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 a oh, carpet. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm supposed to be. Uh, but, but surely, surely God doesn't expect me to do this. Surely there's some sort of limit to this thing. Surely there must be some place where we have to say, enough, I'm not doing this anymore. Let me look. Can't find it. And neither can you. I, I, I didn't say it was easy. Oh, listen, that's another thing. And another thing. It's not like I got on that insurance commercial. And another thing. You're thinking, well, yeah, you already said it yourself. He was God. He was God. Of course he got it right. I know we're not going to get it right all the time. And, oh, by the way, if you're thinking that, 
If, if you're thinking that, that's your flesh trying to talk you out of this clear, this clear mandate God has placed on your life, number one. Number two, God wouldn't, he wouldn't put this in here. He wouldn't say through the Apostle Paul, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Think of others. He wouldn't put that in there if you and I couldn't do that in his power. Do you understand? He, w- he wouldn't do that. And so we can, but it requires this dying, letting go of this, and letting the Spirit of God direct my life. Okay. Um, let me give you one more. He is the authority for the community. Verses 9 through 11, or 9 through uh, yeah, to 11. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven, those on the earth, and those under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's why we do it. That's why we think of somebody else as more important than ourselves. That's why we get up and do it again the next day and the next day. We don't always get it right, but that's why we strive to do this. Because he is the authority, ladies and gentlemen. His name is King Jesus, if you know him as your Savior. This isn't about, this isn't about whether that, that person across from you deserves for you to serve them or, or think of them before you think of yourself. This isn't about your spouse. Does, do you think this has something to do with what they deserve? Remember, who's our model? Who's our model? Come on, it's not hard. That's right. Jesus Christ is our model. We just covered that. I'm sure you remember it. Jesus Christ is our model. Okay, well, why did he do it? Why did he help it? Did he do it because we deserved it? Are you kidding me? No, he didn't do it because we deserved it. None of us deserved it. None of us ever will deserve it. He did it because we needed it. He did it because it was the only hope that we had. And when you and I become carpet Christians and we lay down our lives voluntarily for the good of the body, it's because they need it, not because they deserve it. Listen, let me just say this. It's been on my heart, so I just want to say it. In, in 20 years of vocational ministry, I, I have never seen a closer representation of what the Apostle Paul is writing about here than I see at Cross Culture Church. Now, we're sure not perfect. We sure won't get it right all the time. We sure won't agree all of the time. But for four years now, I have watched so many of you voluntarily lay down your lives and serve and serve and give and serve and work for the good of others. And somebody's thinking, well, don't jinx it. <laughs> Listen, jinxes or luck, they've got nothing to do with it, ladies and gentlemen. It's about whether you and me and, and the rest of us will t- heed Paul's counsel under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and to do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. It's not about luck or jinxes or anything. It's about whether we can humble ourselves in the power of God. And when you see that, that's when you'll see unity. Now, I have no idea what all cross-culture church will be. I know the vision God has given me and others. 
I know the potential to reach thousands in our area and, and throughout the world. I know what can be, but I also know that there must be unity in the community if we're going to be used by God to expand His kingdom. And for that to happen, each of us has to make Christ our heartbeat. Is it yours? As we've heard today, unity isn't always easy. Our flesh fights against our surrender to the Spirit of God. But when we do allow the Holy Spirit to guide us and we choose to humble ourselves, we can experience unity in our marriage, in our family, and in the church. Being carpet Christians isn't always easy, but when we lay down our lives for others, we're following the mode of our Savior, who, as Pastor Clay reminded us, is also our authority. Someday, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As followers of Jesus, we shouldn't wait for that day, but we should humble ourselves now and serve Christ by serving and putting others first. We're glad you joined us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships, and instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540 Exit 7, and we welcome anyone and everyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.